Well, tonight, if you would, go ahead and grab your, your Bibles and open them up to Mark chapter 10 again. I just want to say thank you to Iris and Hannah and Ethan. And uh, I love that we're led to see the cross and led to see the gospel and the glory of God in, in uh, what we're singing. Um, let's look at this again tonight. Didn't finish this morning. This morning we began talking about the ironies of gospel living, those things that uh, that seem contrary to logic. Uh, this morning we, we uh, began with the, the first irony being that uh, the blind are the ones who truly see. Well, that doesn't quite seem to make sense. We moved on to number two, that, uh, that the guilty receive mercy. And that doesn't seem right. The guilty should not receive mercy. They should receive just punishment. And, uh, and we saw this morning as we've saw most of us many times before that 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 punishment was indeed carried out on Christ. Um, and then uh, then we, we looked at number three, that those who cannot come are called to come. Those who cannot get to Jesus are called to come. And that doesn't make sense. Those who have no way to get there, who cannot work their way through the crowd, who are blind, who their their works profit them nothing. Uh, they are dead, the Bible says, before Christ, um, are called to come. They're called and enabled to come. Um, these are ironies or paradoxes of, of gospel living. Um, and so tonight I want to give you two more out of this text. Let me go ahead and give you the, what they are, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and, and uh, address them. Uh, number four is the master becomes the slave. The master becomes the slave. And then number five your way becomes his way. Your way becomes his way. So let me read the passage and then we'll walk through these last two together. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is again the last miracle of mercy recorded in this gospel of Mark before Jesus heads to the cross. This is really... Um, let me, let me tell you that the last four people that are saved uh, in connection between now and the cross, it's blind Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, and then we go forward and we go to um, the centurion. Um, well, I've forgotten the fourth. It'll come to me. I'll tell you. But there's only recorded in the Gospels, there's only four between now and then that are saved. And that's important for us to take note. Who? That's right. Thief on the cross. Thank you. 
I saw, I looked over there and this is what I saw Ray doing to me. He was going like this to me. I was thinking, Ray, you know, sorry, brother. I didn't know I had offended you that greatly. Yes. The thief on the cross was, was the fourth, the thief on the cross. And some would say that, uh, uh, that possibly Simon who carried the cross of Christ and, and others, but, uh, but there are very few that will come to Christ and be saved between now and the crucifixion. But then there will be thousands who will be saved and millions who will be saved from the cross and the empty tomb until today. And so just a kind of an interesting, interesting um, piece of trivia that, that I came across studying. Let me just spend some time here. The master becomes the slave. Two weeks ago on a Sunday night, I spoke out of the text before this and used a lot of John MacArthur's book, Slave, to point to the fact that when we come to Christ, that we our lives are no longer our own, that we become his slave. But in this text tonight, we see Jesus here call Bartimaeus to himself and say, what do you want me to do for you? And here, the master, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the sustainer and creator of the universe says to this blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? And he, he switches roles. He puts Bartimaeus in the position of master. And Jesus here takes the position of slave. Now, before you throw stones and say, well, this just doesn't seem quite right to say that Jesus here becomes a slave. I want us to go backwards. Contrast this question that Jesus asks here. What do you want me to do for you? Contrast it when he asked the very same question to James and John just a few verses before this. What do you want me to do for you? We want you to grant us to sit at your right hand and your left. Well, what was the nature of their request? The nature of their request was they wanted to be seen. They wanted to be the center of attention. What's the nature of the request of the blind man? He doesn't want to be seen. He wants to see. You see the difference? Their request was self-serving and it was narcissistic. His request is not self-serving. It is that he wants to see ultimately so that he could follow this one who was master and Lord. Uh, in order for that to happen in order for um, for you to be able to come to the position where you see where the scales fall from your eyes and you are made alive and you become a follower of Christ, um, then he has to become your slave. OK, it doesn't mean that we command Jesus. It doesn't mean that he exists for us to uh, make wishes. Jesus is not the genie in the bottle. He serves us. With the very cup that God has given him to drink. Remember back in verse 45? Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus here is pointing out to us very vividly, contrasting James and John's request with the request of this blind beggar and showing us that Jesus has come to be slave but not slave of our wants and wishes, but slave to meet our very need. 
Do you see it? That's the difference here. While we know that salvation is by grace alone, those of us who are believers here, and we know that we have no merit of our own, that that the gospel, that we are not saved through any works of ours, our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. While we know that, we're tempted to trust our own works even while affirming His. Aren't we? Don't we say, I have nothing to boast in but the grace of of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but all the while, secretly, we somehow think that we are made more favorable, more loved, more accepted in the eyes of God if we will do more for Him. You feel the tension there? And we may not set out to do it that way, but we have this within us that it's sort of a default position that we sort of fall back there. We feel like if we can do more to please him, then he will be more pleased with us and therefore we will be more accepted. The error in most Christians theology is thinking that we're brought into the kingdom by his merit, but that we're kept in the kingdom by our own. We, we would wholeheartedly, amen, that Jesus saved us. We say things like, thank God for the full atonement, for the finished work of Christ at Calvary. And we would say, amen to that. We, say, we, we sing lines and songs that point us back to Jesus crying out, it is finished. And we amen that. But then we... We live as if it is up to us to keep us saved. Does that make sense? We feel like if we don't do what we're supposed to do, then, well, I guess we're out. I guess we're, if we're not out of the kingdom, we're at least on the outs with God. And while when we disobey and choose to disobey or fail to obey or all those things, while that does bring a separation of fellowship between us and God, it does not separate us from the love of God. I would remind you, those of you who weren't here Wednesday night, sitting in the living room of that family whose loved one was dying and having one family member say, I've lost my faith. How can I believe when I'm going through this? And hearing that mother say, But you don't understand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not life or death or angels or principalities. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is fact. So, you say, what's the point? Why are you getting so worked up? It's not because Ray was sitting over there, you know, putting the the cross on me. It's because I want you to understand That we never move on from the gospel. If we are going to live in the gospel. This gospel living. Then we must embrace the fact that he has become our slave. Not to do our bidding. Not to give us what we want. He has become our slave to meet our need. And we have to rest in that. I don't know how else to drive that home for you. 
We would do well to never leave Jesus' question. We would do well to get up every morning and hear the question of Jesus echoing in our heads again and again. What would you have me to do for you? And to answer back, everything, Jesus. Everything, because I can do nothing without you. The point of this is not for us to say, Jesus, give me gold rings and give me nice cars. And Jesus, give me a nice fat bank account. And Jesus, give me great friends. And Jesus, give me, give me, give me. Another point is to say, Jesus, meet my need. Meet my need. Bring me into right relationship with you through the gospel. Keep me in right fellowship with you through the gospel. Lead me to repentance, Jesus I need you for everything. Make my life count as I follow you for your mission in this world. Jesus, I need you to serve me because I am so depraved that left to myself, I will leave the gospel altogether. Jesus, would you continue to serve me in keeping me close to the cross? That's the fourth irony. The fifth irony is this. Your way becomes his way. It's interesting, as I was reading through this, it just sort of didn't hit me at first, but the more I read it, and part of my study each week is to read through the text over and over and over and over and over again. I write out the text multiple times, just word for word, making sure that I'm putting the commas in the right place and the quotations in the right place, making sure I've got the punctuation right, and I just, I just write it out. I don't, I don't do it on my computer. I do it with a, with a real sheet of paper and a real pen. And there's something that happens the more I read it and the more I write it that God, the Holy Spirit, my teacher, shows me and he will do the same for you because the same spirit that lives in me lives in you as a believer. It shows me things that are in the text that I would miss otherwise. And this was one of those. Jesus says to him, when he says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus' next words, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus had told the man, you're well. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. What does the man do? The man does not go back to his street corner. The man does not get up the next morning and go back to the same place on the street to beg. The man does not go back and look for long lost family. The man does not go and and catch up with old friends. When, When God causes you to be alive and causes the scales to fall from your eyes and gives you sight to see who He really is and who you are in light of that and your great need and how He has met your great need and by faith that you trust Him, it doesn't make any sense for you to go back to your old life. The man doesn't go back to his old life. He follows Jesus on the way. He becomes a follower of the way. He becomes a disciple. He becomes a Christian. He becomes a slave. Can you imagine that? We don't know how this man went blind. We don't know if he was born blind or if he went blind later in life. We just don't know. We don't know the details of this. 
But the very first thing that he sees when Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. The very first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. It was so life-altering to him. His whole world was shattered. How could he go back to his old life? So he follows Jesus out of Jericho and he just joins in with this group and he follows this one who has made him to see. He goes all the way to the cross. I imagine that he's in the crowd that day. He watches this Jesus, this one who has caused him to see, be nailed to a cross and hung there and die. He hangs around, I think, afterwards. He's probably part of this group that Jesus reveals himself to after he is resurrected from the dead. He said, well, how do you know all that? We don't know for sure. Have you ever thought about why we know his name? You know, there were so many other people that were healed in the Gospels. So many of them, though, remained nameless. You have no idea who they they are, who they were. But here we know this man is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. You say, well, what's the point? What's the big deal? The point is that when Peter retells his his experience of following Christ and John Mark writes it down for him, this is not just a random person in Jericho that they are writing about. I believe that this is a brother. And they are writing about one that came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and who had remained faithful and became a part of the early church. And he was known among the Christians. And how this would encourage them as they read about the testimony of their brother in the Lord. Aren't testimonies encouraging? Do your heart good to see someone stand up that you know not to have them embellish or make up things, but, but to have them say, this much I know, I was blind, but now I see. I was this, I was that, but then God made me alive. God has turned my life around. And the irony of gospel living is that when you are set free to go your way, when the scales have fallen from your eyes and you can now see and you have a myriad of options before you, there is only one option that makes sense. And it is to devote your life and follow the one who has caused you to see. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to, Lord, this story, this part of Mark, 
And God, we have seen all throughout Mark how you lived and served, how you healed, how you fed, how you taught, how everything that you did was intentional, how you have been building into the lives of these twelve. And Jesus, now we are about to turn toward the cross. And Jesus, I pray that with more clarity than we ever saw any of those former things, God, I pray that you would cause us in this faith family, those who attend on Sunday mornings, to see this gospel, to see the passion of the Christ, not Mel Gibson's version but your passion in following the will of the Father and redeeming a people to yourself, that we would see all of what it cost you. God, that we would see that it was our sin that caused you to go through it all. God, that it would deepen our faith, that it would cause us to love you all the more. God, I pray that it would also unify us. That hardness of hearts would be broken. That spiritual coldness and deadness would be driven away. That from one side of this auditorium to the next with every seat in between that is filled with a person, that we would see and we would savor what you have done, how you have served us. And God, that that would do away with selfishness. God, that it would do away with Entitlement. God, that it would do away with preference. And God, that it would call us out of complacency. And God, that you would. You would put a passionate awareness. In every life. Every life that attends, every life that calls themselves by the name of Christ, every life that is a member of this body, God, that it would put a passionate awareness that our lives are not our own, but they are yours. We have been bought. We are here for your kingdom, for your mission. Not for our 70 or 80 or 90 years. But we are here to continue the work that you begun of making disciples that would one day worship around your throne. God, remind us that that day is not here. And God, put us in your service. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.